At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning and excited to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. We're in a a series called... uh, Um, Assembly Required. I had to think about that for just a second. Assembly Required, and this summer we're looking at some particular psalms and passages that will help us think about what it means for the church to be together. What are the priorities and the important realities that we should embrace as a church family as we gather this morning? And so uh, we're going to pick up the psalm that you just uh, artistically saw displayed and and mentioned there, Psalm 51 this morning. So if you would open your Bible with me to Psalm 51, I'd love to read that passage for us. Let me invite you to stand. I'm going to read this for us and pray. And then we will uh, we'll jump into this next priority of the church as we look at God's word together, okay? Let me read from Psalm chapter 51. This is to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that your spirit would take your word and that he would do the work today. We pray and ask, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and humble hearts, that we, Lord, as we listen to your word, as we receive it, that we would be ready to be changed. We pray this prayer, Lord, knowing our own sin and knowing our need for you today. And we ask for you to meet us here, to remind us of the gospel, and to bring us to repentance and confession. Lord, help us so that we might grow that you might be glorified, and that your mission might advance. So fix our eyes on Christ today. May he be our sacrifice and our help. 
Spirit of God, speak now. Open our hearts. Humble us, Lord. As we listen to you, may we obey. We give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It had been one of the worst seasons of his life. Literally, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but there he was. He gave in to his temptations. Using his position of power, he at best seduced and slept with a young woman who was married to another man. At worst, he objectified her, overpowered her, and raped her. I would say that adultery is probably too tame a word to describe his actions. Yet after learning what he had done and learning that he had impregnated the woman that he had given himself to, that he had taken, he realized he had himself on the horns of a dilemma. Her husband was out of town on business, and there was enough knowledge among his inner circle that he, they knew that he was responsible. The child conceived was his. Instead of repenting, though, he doubled down on hiding and burying his sin of defending himself. When his attempts at deception and subtlety came, he, he actually worked to bring about a conspiracy to get the woman's husband to sleep with her because he failed to use his power to arrange this conspiracy that would work. The resulting reality was that he saw to have that woman's husband killed in the line of battle. He was responsible now for guilt. He was guilty for rape, adultery, deceit, and now blood was literally on his hands in the murder of this woman's husband. He was collecting offenses against God, breaking the Ten Commandments as if they were samples given out at Costco on a normal weekday. And he thought he got away with it all too. Thought he was in the clear. He had done everything to hide it, to, to bury it, to make sure no one knew. That is until his friend and spiritual leader came and lovingly and compassionately exposed his sin and illuminated his mind and confronted him with his sin. Nathan, the prophet of God, came to David, came to King David with a parable. With gentleness and lovingness, compassionately came and exposed and confronted him with his sin and pointed out, you are the man. And David, having his heart opened and exposed by the Holy Spirit of God, came and said, and confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. David knew. He knew. And this is the backdrop for our text today. It's what's found in just the superscript that's found at the beginning of Psalm 51. The story of David and Bathsheba and his adultery or rape against her and the subsequent crimes and murder of Uriah and the deceit and the hiding from the kingdom of Israel at all. This frames the story and the background of the psalm that we're looking at this morning. That psalm is a cry of David for us. It's a song of confession and repentance of David, but not just exclusively of David, but for you and I today to take up and to bring into our own hearts to recognize when we have sinned against God and one another, how should we respond? What should we do? The psalm gives us words to pray. It gives us language to address God when we sin and when we're awakened to our sin. This psalm supplies the soundtrack for us to approach God in sincerity and to begin reconciling with him in our hearts as they are exposed to our rebellion against the Lord. This psalm helps us to know how to pray and how to confess 
Because this is one of the priorities and the needs for the church today. One of the reasons that we gather is to confess we don't have it together. We're broken. We're sinful people. And we need reconciliation with God. But there's a problem. The problem is we don't like confession. We're too proud to admit our sin. And frankly, it's killing us. As Ray Ortland so aptly put it, in, church, in some churches, nobody admits anything. Confession would be foolhardy because it would be used as evidence against us rather than for a person. If not dead already, such a church eventually will be. But God welcomes all of us sinners to confess and to get free forever. It's like being born again, again. It's one of the functions of the church gathered, the church assembled. that We are to confess our sins. Consider James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And if that's true, then we need to take up and reorient ourselves to this practice. We need to come back to the reality of the confession of our sins because it's God's gift for us as a church for our good. That's the point that I want to make this morning, that, that true cleansing and joy come through confession. That as we confess our sins before the Lord, we find true cleansing and joy. I'll tell you this morning, if your soul is dried up, if you're angry, if you're hostile, if you're desperate, if you know you're at odds with God, if your guilt has been exposed, there is cleansing for you. There is joy for you. There's openness by the hands of God for you. Confess your sin. Come to him this morning. Bring it to him today. The psalm, the psalm shows us how to get there. It gives us the words to speak and to pray. We need to know what confession looks like. And so David's prayer is a confession that can be our own. He, again, supplies words. God gives us words to show us exactly what we should say and what we should do when our sin is before us. I want to point out and draw out three steps this morning that will help us lean into confession well, that will help us be people of humility, repentance, and confession before the Lord, that we as gathered people would seek the face of God this morning. The first step is this, it's to know and to own your sin. It's to know and own your sin. You know, this psalm is uh, framed out by two, uh, two uh, preamble and an epilogue at the beginning of the psalm. Verses 1 and 2 and verses 18 and 19 start as a, an introduction to the psalm and then as a conclusion. What happened, the, the beginning is what do we need to pray and the ending is what happens when we confess. Framed within that are three stanzas or three sections that give us these steps into confession that help us know the steps to take to get there. So let me lead us in that. David begins in verses 1 and 2 in, in bringing us into the reality that we are in a, a, a desperate state. If we'll have the eyes and the heart to see it, we will see that verses 1 and 2 need to be our prayer as well. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This is where the prayer starts. It's where we must start with God if we're to be reconciled to him. God, I need your mercy. I need your help. I need your grace. Supply to me what I need because I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a ditch. I'm in a hole. I'm in a pit. I have no help, so have mercy on me, O oh God. But, but David here doesn't just 
launch a prayer for mercy off into the cosmos, hoping that some deity out there in a way will hear and respond. He prays this knowing his God. He, he knows who the God that he seeks and prays to is. He builds his cry for mercy based on God's nature. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He knows the Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. A God who will forgive to generation after generation. This is what he knows of his God, who is, one, who is full of steadfast love, who is abundant in mercy. So he's standing on solid ground. He's standing there saying, this is God who you are. This is who you've revealed yourself to. And I can come to you and cry out to you for mercy. And maybe you need to see that picture and reality of God's nature this morning to start off with. When you come to confess your sin before the Lord, you're not coming to a God who's fully vengeful, ready to tear you down and blow you up and destroy you. God's heart is for you. He's, he's ready with arms wide open and with compassion and love to care for you, to heal you, to restore you. God in his mercy and tenderness is saying, come to me, children. Deeply compassionate. Out of his steadfast love and mercy, you can, you can come to him. And this is what David is asking for. Here's what he wants. God, blot out my sin. Take away my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. David here is asking for nothing less than him to have a clean slate. His sins to be removed, the term blotted out here, means the idea of completely taken away or annihilated. As, as if I never sinned, David is saying. As if this never happened, like there's no record against me any longer. Take away my sin. Remove it. I mean, this is, think about David here. Think of the context here. This is a massive ask. He's an adulterer, a rapist even, a murderer. He's Led poorly? I mean, there's everything here, and he's coming to God. And he's saying, heal me. Take this away. Give me a clean record. Can God do that? Oh, yes, he can. Would God do that for David? Would he do that for us? Yes, he will. I mean, David's cry for a clean heart, for his sins to be removed. I ask, who among us wouldn't want that for ourselves? It's here for us. It's here for us to come. So what's the steps that we need to take? Well, it begins with knowing and owning our sin, and this is what he talks about in verses 3 through 6. David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Here's how we should begin to pray in our confession to the Lord. Here's what it looks like. These realities, they come up. David says, I know my sin. <laughs> He, he, he's clear, I know I have rebelled against you, God. He's been awakened to his guilt and culpability as the prophet Nathan spoke to him, exposed his heart and his sin. David says, I'm the man. I've sinned against the Lord. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, David has awareness and clarity and guilt, true guilt over his sin. It's, it's like I can't get away from it, God. They're, it's hounding me. It's pressing down on me. I, I, I can't get away from this fact that I am rebellious towards you, that my sin is ever before me. It's like I wake up and my sin is in my face. I go to bed and, and there it is just killing my brain. I can't sleep at night. Like sin is my sin, David says. It's there all the time. It's ever before me. To know and own our sin, we have to know our sin. We must be 
cognizant and aware and awakened, which is why when this Holy Spirit reveals it to us, when he convicts our hearts, when he exposes our sin, we should be listening. We should be listening to him so that we can know it. But then David takes one step further and he says, not only do I know my sin, is it ever before me? My sin is there. He knows whom he has sinned against. He knows where his sin has gone. David here goes to the ultimate ends of his rebellion and sin. He, he goes to the deepest place. Look with me at verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now catch this here. Even though David's rebellion and sin was against Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and even against the deception and moral failure against the entire nation, ultimately, David knows his sin goes to God itself. That he's rebelled against the one who has created him. He has rebelled in his sin and in the way he's treated others, he has rebelled against ultimately God. And so confession deals with the Godward impact our sin has. To take our sin before the Lord, we must recognize that our sin is treason against an infinitely glorious being who has every right to command and rule and order this world, who has rights to command and control and ordain us. And David says, that's where I've broken the law. It's against you and you only, you ultimately, God, have I sinned. And that brings me under your judgment. So when God says, you are a sinner, he says, yeah, that's right, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God stands as the judge and he acknowledges, he declares, yes, you, you've rebelled against me. You committed spiritual treason against me. You have broken the relationship with me. And David recognizes that. Confession when done rightly, when, when appropriated correctly, realizes that even though we are sinning against one another, ultimately it is to God itself, himself. And we must rectify things with him as much as we do our neighbor. Every sin against oneself, against one's neighbor, or against another human being is ultimately treason and rebellion against God, who has called us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So he knows his sin, he knows whom ultimately he has sinned against, and he begins to own it. He owns his sin and his core rebellion. Verses 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight, though, in truth and the inward being. So you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David didn't go like, oops, little mistake. Or, you know, that's just a one-time thing. It was so out of character for him. David recognizes that this is a heart problem. He acknowledges that his heart is corrupt at the core. From the start, the doctrine of original sin is here, that all of us from conception have inherited a sin nature from our forefather, Adam and Eve. Like we are all sinners at conception because of the inherited corruption of our hearts and sin nature. David knows that I was brought forth in iniquity. My, my sin was there since my mother conceived me. And that's where the gap is. The parallel words of behold in verse 5 and 6 kind of separate this for us. Behold, I was born in sin. My, in sin did my mother conceive me. And then the contrast. But what does God desire? What does God want? Behold, you want truth in the inward being. Truth in my heart. You, you teach wisdom in this secret heart. And that's where the gap is. 
I've lived this way, but you long for me to live righteously. I've lived in sin and rebellion, and you called me to live in holiness and righteousness and wisdom. And there's a huge gap here. And David begins to own that. He doesn't pass the buck. He doesn't place blame on someone else. He doesn't try and justify himself or, or say this was just out of character. That's not me. No, he owns it. I am corrupt from the core, and there's a gap between you and me, oh God. And that's the difference here. And this is where confession has to start for us. If we're, if we're to truly come before the Lord and receive his grace and healing, if we're to experience his cleansing and joy, we must know and own our sin. We, we must raise our hand and say, this is it. This is me. This is what I've done. And I've sinned against you, oh God. My, my name, like I'm at a gap here. We're at a big distance between what you want for me and what I've done. David here cries out for mercy. We should too. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's not evasive. He's not downplaying the issue or his sin. But openly, clearly, and humbly, he owns it. Here's my sin. Here's my heart. Here's where I'm broken. If we don't take this first step of owning and knowing, knowing and owning our sin, we will not take the next few steps. And we won't find cleansing and healing with the Lord. We won't find reconciliation with him. So this is why it must be the first step to give any mercy from God it means that we know and we own our sin. And if we do that, we can then take the next step. The next step is this, that we would beg for inner transformation. As, as David is wrestling with the conviction of his sin from the Holy Spirit, as he knows where he has fallen and broken God's law, as God has exposed his heart and his separation and the gap that's there, he cries out for inner transformation. He pleads and begs God to cleanse him. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David's asking for cleansing of the heart. He's saying, go down to the core. When he prays, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was used in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament for the sacrifices and, and blood offerings. You may remember the children of Israel in Egypt getting ready to leave the land, and their God told them on the plague of the firstborn that, that if they would take and, and kill a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and take the blood of the lamb with a hyssop branch, it's a plant, a hyssop branch. Take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood and then place the blood on the doorpost and on the frame. There the Lord will pass over their home and save them. It was an act of faith that they put blood on their doorpost as a way to signify we trust God and his word here. It's an act of faith as we look forward or look back to the blood of Christ. And here David is saying, in the way of sacrifice, in the way of cleansing, Lord, trusting in the blood, as it were, cleanse me, purge me. He's bringing to mind the elements of the sacrificial atonement to atone for his sin. He invokes that moment. And here he gets the, at the need for sanctification, for sacrifice and purification. That sacrifice, David recognizes, is external to himself. That sacrifice is something that he cannot do. He can't cleanse himself. Someone else must cleanse him. That's an important reality regarding confession. Confession doesn't cleanse you. It's just owning up 
to your need for cleansing. Confession doesn't forgive you, but it brings you, it brings us into the realm of God's cleaning and forgiving power. It brings us into the reality that we cannot save ourselves, but we are broken, that we are fallen, that we are rebels against God. And he must take care of our sin. He must do something for us. He must cleanse us. But he's not obligated to. He doesn't owe us that. He does that out of his love and mercy. David, in his anguish and in the sorrow of his sin, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He cries out to God, God, I I want joyness again. I want gladness. I want healing. He knows that, that he has been in such a state that he probably can't sleep at night. His guilt is just pressing in on him. As he, as he goes about his day, his, his sin is there in his mind and in his heart. He knows what he's done. Everything is out of order. There's no satisfaction. There's no smile. There's no joy. It's anguish. And he knows that God is rightly disciplining him and correcting him. He says, you've, you've broken my bones, as it were. But he goes back to God and he says, God, heal them. Restore them. In fact, he says, God, I want you to turn your face from my sin. I want you to vanquish and blot out my iniquities. God, would you create in me, verse 10, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit away from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, David's prayer here and the step he calls us to take is to say, God, I can't fix this. I can't make this right. I can't clean myself up enough. There's no amount of good deeds that I can do that would would tip the scale back into your good graces. I am completely at the bottom, and I need you to give me a new heart. I need you to cleanse me and, and give me a new spirit. I need you from the inside out to transform me. God, I need you to heal me so that my joy is there again. That I would know the joy of your salvation. He knows his heart is so far gone, his soul so entrenched in sin, that only one can save him. And that's God. This is what a true sinner's prayer really looks like. It's begging and pleading with God. God, transform my heart. David here is looking forward with faith in the promises of God that God would make all things new, that he would provide an ultimate sacrifice for sin, that God would be the one to give him a new heart. This is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We don't go to a temple to sacrifice a bull or a goat for the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that's insufficient Blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse us from our sin. For there to be true atonement, true reconciliation, there must be the shedding of blood of one who stands for us. And that is Christ. Jesus Christ is the sinless one who came for our salvation. He is the pure and spotless lamb, the lamb of God, the holy one who came for us. And as the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus came and stood in our place. He became the substitute for us, where we deserve the wrath of God, where we deserve his anger and his fury against us. Christ came in the love of God for us to stand for us in our penalty, 
to take the punishment we deserve. And so Peter can write and say, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, from the ways of your sin that, that came to you. He says, not ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold. You can't buy your way into God's good graces, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He reveals to us there has been a sacrifice for our sins. There has been one to cleanse our hearts and to make us new. Christ has died to ransom us and to give us new hearts by his blood and to send the Spirit to transform us. These things that David prays here as he begs for inner transformation are realities that we can embrace if we will come to the Lord in confession. We can pray, God, don't hide your face from me. Turn your face from my sins. Like, remove them completely. And God points to Christ and he says, child, if you believe, if you've trusted Christ, if you look to the cross, your sins are taken care of. They're covered under the blood of Christ. You're justified, righteous in my sight. Look to the cross. And your your spirit with me is new as you turn with faith to Christ. There's Jesus and all that he's done for us. So when we confess, we confess on the blood of Christ We claim the cross of Christ. We plead on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice for us and say, God, create in me a clean heart. And it's not a one-time thing. It's not just something we do to get the, the insurance out of hell. It's a continual need for us. As we sin day in and day out, as our rebellion continues to seep through into our lives, we can come to Christ day after day after day and say, renew me, restore me, hide your face from me. And his blood has paid for all of our sins. Our sins aren't just on the outside, they're on the inside. It's our hearts, it's our attitudes, it's a pervasive condition of our hearts. And there God has given us a means, he has given us a way to get free of them. And to be whole and reconciled to him. So will you beg for that inner transformation? Will you, will you take up Christ's invitation today to come to him? To, to be renewed and restored? Will you confess your sins and rebellion to the Lord today? Will you plead the blood of Christ over your life? I would say respond today. Respond as Christ convicts you. Respond with conviction. Respond with confession. Plead for a renewal of your heart and don't give up responding. As a German reformer, Martin Luther said, the Christian life is one of continual repentance, continual confession, day after day after day. Come to the well of Christ's blood and be refreshed and restored and renewed. Be changed from the inside out. David knows and he owns his sin. And he takes the next step to beg God for a transformed heart, to plead with God for a clean heart and restored relationship with him, a willing spirit. Those steps are taken then. What's the result of that? It's the third step. What's the result of that? When you have a renewed and restored heart, God does something profound and wonderful for you. What happens next? It's the third step. It's to celebrate God's salvation. If your life is plucked up out of the pit, if you've seen that God does not hold your sin against you any longer, but he loves you, he calls you his child, he adopts you, and he cleanses you, what do you do with that? It's to celebrate. It's to rejoice. It's to proclaim. 
Look with me at verse 13, this third stanza. He says, then, God, as I know your salvation and your forgiveness, as I, as I confess my sin to you and I know your mercy upon my life, then something happens in my heart. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Now, don't hear this wrong as if David is saying, God, if you forgive me, then I will do that. He's saying, this is the result of what your forgiveness does. This is what happens when I'm truly cleansed by you. It just comes out. It's something that's there. I will teach these transgressors, and sinners will return to you. God, when you deliver me from blood guiltiness, and David had blood on his hands, lots of it, he says, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. When you get freed of the pit of your sin and you see God rightly and what he's done for you is mercy and grace, I mean, how can you not talk about his kindness and forgiveness? How can you not tell other sinners there's a, there's a well of forgiveness there's a, a life spring of joy and happiness. There is one who loves you closer than a brother. Go to him. That's what happens when we experience and know the grace of God as we confess our sins. Where there is God's grace, we open our hearts to the Lord and to one another. There is true freedom and celebration. You see, this is what God delights to do. It's his heart towards us, to forgive us. He loves to do that. He's inclined towards us. His arms are open wide, ready to forgive. So when we step into the light, when we confess our sin, when we cry out for inner transformation and we, we seek to be reconciled with God through the blood of Christ, He frees us. And He frees us to talk about Him and rejoice in Him. When the burden has been lifted, it's happy days. It's joy. When the stain is gone, we get vocal about it. Is that what God's doing in your heart and in your life? What does God want from you? You say, okay, well, maybe he just wants me to beat myself up and do just radical penance for my sin. No, God's not looking for you to beat yourself up for your sin, although he wants and there cannot be repentance and forgiveness without remorse and sorrow. We say, well, maybe God wants me to do religious deeds and practices to clean myself up. And again, I'd say no, although those things help identify our sin and help us walk in the light. David says this in verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now there, David's not just brushing aside the entire sacrificial system that God had instilled for Israel, nor is he just brushing aside the reality that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. He's just saying, God, these external acts of, of religion, these external acts of practicing righteousness or, or salvation, they aren't sufficient to get to my heart. God, what you really want is, verse 17, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. If you think that you can just come to church and be here, or if you think that just reading your Bible and having a lot of Bible knowledge and, and being very intelligent about the Scriptures and theologically precise, or if you think that your giving is enough to just get God to, to owe you one back and to, to, for Him to forgive you because you've done all these things, no. It's not about what's on the outside. God's aiming at your heart. You can be full of the scriptures and full of pride. You can be full of yourself in that. God says, I want a broken heart. I want a contrite spirit. I won't despise that. 
And so when you humble yourself, our Father won't turn his heart away from you. He will welcome you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. Again, the scripture, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He pours out mercy and grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, just come to me. Humble yourself, and he'll lift the burden. And when that burden is gone, when the words and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ are spoken over you, that there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus, anyone who turns to him will not be put to shame. For God so loved the world that he gave him his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. When those gospel words are spoken over you and the burden is lifted, we're free. Oh, we're free to delight in and celebrate and feel the weight of our sin lifted off our back to worship and to celebrate. And that's what repentance and confession does. It leads us to worship and it leads us to mission. I mean, that's what this is all about here, right? I'm going to teach transgressors because my sin is freed, or my sin is gone, I'm freed. I'm, I'm going to proclaim and sing aloud your righteousness because I'm cleansed, I'm clear. Like getting out of jail and being, con, uh, being told you're not guilty, it just, you shout it out. What keeps us from sharing our faith and moving forward in mission? Could it be that we're just so proud and stagnant and holding on to our sin that we're just stopped under the weight of our sin? Could it be that we've got our eyes so fixed on the wrong things and not the reality of the gospel that we're foaming at the mouth about our passions but not about Christ crucified for sinners? That we're not about his grace for us? When that's the case, we miss the point and we stall out under a lack of love and we become unable to move anything of the gospel forward. We can't love God or our neighbors well. We just love our own agendas. So here's the point, the step. I'll just say it as the Bible says it, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let that beautiful word sink into your heart. If we confess our sins, God, be merciful to me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just based on what Christ has done for us on the cross to forgive us. Beautiful words. To forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all of our sin, past, present, or sin to come. The invitation is there. Will you come to him? The promise is there. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why in the world would you wait? Why in the world would you hold back? Why would you continue to carry that burden any longer? Humble yourself. Confess to God. Confess to one another. Christ has died. We are forgiven. So come and know his free love and grace towards you. Confess and know his reconciliation towards you. Experience his redemption. Know and be restored to the joy of your salvation. And that's what the church must do. The conclusion of David's prayer here in verses 18 and 19 Speak about what happens when a church 
people of God follow him in their confession and they, they own their sin and they cry out to him. David says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. He's praying now and he says, God, when we confess, when we, when we come with this prayer to you, will you do good to us? Will you build up the walls of Jerusalem, the city of, of God, where God's people are humble, where they acknowledge him, they acknowledge their need. God builds that church. He builds that city. And then their external worship, their songs, their prayers, their offerings, their sacrifices, he receives, he delights in. But it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart of every one of us to repent and to confess and to know the mercy and forgiveness of God and to be cleansed. Come to him today. Own your sin. He's not gonna beat you for it. He sacrificed his son already. He's gonna embrace you and welcome you and love you and cleanse you. So come to him. Come to him. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray and ask that you would have mercy on us. That you would, out of your steadfast love and abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. That you would wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and that you would cleanse us from our sins. Humble us, O Lord. Give us a broken spirit and a contrite heart that you will not despise. So that your church is built up, that your name is glorified, that the mission advances, that, that you are known, that we as a church would be truly a city on a hill cannot be extinguished. Do that here among us, O oh God, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.